And now as we continue to study Abraham and the covenant that you have made with him, help us to understand it. Help us to see our relationship to him and to that covenant. And now give us illumination as we seek to read your word. Open our minds to it. Get rid of any presupposed error in our, on our part. And help us to see your word for what it is. Not reading into it. Not, it's something that's not there. Not being blind to something that is there. Oh God, speak this word to our hearts. For Christ's sake. Amen. Our scripture text today is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. So let us stand for the reading of the Word of God. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. You may be seated. I hope you brought your Bible today because we're going to look up a lot of verses. We're not going to spend time with those verses, but we're going to look a lot of verses in the Old and New Testament. Because this is one of the most chapters, important chapters we can read. Last week, we studied about the irresistible, almighty call of Almighty God to Abraham, calling him out of paganism, out of sin, out of death, into a life of obedience and faith with God and a life of fellowship with Him. And I want us to now go on to see something related to that call. Whenever the Almighty God calls a sinner out of his sin and out of his spiritual death into life and unto himself, he always makes a covenant with that man. So the two key words here, call, which we looked at last week, that's the most common name for Christians in the, in the New Testament, the called out ones. 
And today we're going to look more at that covenant that God made Abraham. Remember the three definitions you could take your pick for? Of? One, a covenant is a communion of life, a life of fellowship and intimacy with the Almighty God in which He's your sovereign friend and you are His servant friend. Or you could call the covenant a sovereignly dictated order of life, being in communion with God. God says, now, here's the way I want you to live. So He gives you the law contained in Holy Scripture. Or you can call a covenant a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. It's a bond. It's something that ties you inseparably to God and it cannot be broken. It's a bond in blood. Blood's a priceless thing. It's a valuable thing. You see blood, you see any of your children bleeding, you stop everything else you're doing to find out why that child is bleeding. Plus, blood is the sign of death. And so this, this union and communion between God and his people is based upon the violent, bloody death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. The covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. God sovereignly determines who's going to be in it. You don't get to choose whether you're going to be in it or not. God chooses who he's going to be in it. Of all the cities... All the people, all the men in the world of that time of which there were millions. God went to the Ur of the Chaldees to one man and said, I want you. He not only determines who's going to be in this covenant, he determines what it's going to be made of. What are the demands of it? What does God expect of you? What can you expect of God? What are the promises that are made? What role does each participant in that covenant play? It's sovereignly administered. You have no role in determining the nature, the content, the laws, the promises of this great God that calls you out of darkness into light. And when God enters into a covenant with a man whom he's called unto himself, there's all kinds of blessings that come with it. Let's go back to chapter 12. And I want you to look at the blessings. These are spectacular blessings. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and your father's house to the land which I'm going to show you. Now these themes the book of Genesis comes back to, so we're going to look at some of the verses that expand these promises. So there's a promise of land. Verse 2, And I'll make you a great nation. You'll not just be an individual wanderer. You'll be a great and mighty nation influencing other nations. And I'll bless you. Every area of your life will be lived under my blessing. I'll cause your life to blossom in all its aspects. I'll make your name great. I'm going to make you famous, Abraham. How are you going to make me famous, Lord? Because when people talk about Jesus, they're going to talk about Abraham. So you're going to be linked with Jesus' name for the rest of human history. And so you'll be a blessing to anybody that meets you. Anybody that meets you to one degree or another, you're going to be, I'm going to bring blessing into their lives through you. Verse 3. And I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I'll curse. 
Now that's really a strong promise of protection and security. You're going to be going to a land that is full of Canaanites, chapter verse 6. Full of Canaanites. Thousands and thousands of pagans who also are bloodthirsty as well as idolatrous. But you don't have anything to worry about. They're always at war with each other, one city-state against another city-state. You're a stranger. You're an alien. They don't know you. They'll want what possessions you'll have because you're going to have a lot of possessions. You're going to have a lot of silver and a lot of gold. But don't worry. I'm going to bless anybody that blesses you. Any pagan nation that's good to you, I'm going to be in some level good to them. And if any nation, pagan nation, whatever, causes you trouble, I'm going to cause them trouble. I'm going to curse anybody that curses you. There is an uh, advertisement I see on television some, uh, and it is by the Fellowship of Christians and Jews. And the purpose of this ad is to provide a box of food for little old starving Jewish ladies in the Soviet Union who survived the Holocaust, about who have nothing. Now that's honorable. It's honorable to help starving little old ladies. But here's the reason you're to do it according to this. They quote the Bible. They say, help us support these little widows that have nothing else in the Soviet, old Soviet Union. Nothing. Be a blessing to them. Remember what God said, I bless those who bless my people. Who bless my Jewish people. I'll bless them. So they take a verse out of context that has nothing to do with little Jewish women. But we'll come back to that another time. Let's see what else. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of the descendants of Shem, all the descendants of Ham, all the descendants of Japheth, and all their descendants, the whole world and all the families in the world are going to be blessed through you as time goes on. The whole world and all the families of the world will be better off because you are alive and in my covenant. And he wasn't some young guy either. Notice in verse 4, he was 75 years old, although I think that is young. But he was 75 years old, so he packs up all his possessions, of which he had a great deal. We'll see that another day. And uh, his relatives, and he took off to the land of Canaan. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know anything about, the Earth, about Canaan. He was simply obeying God. Being in God's covenant, he was to live a life of faith and of obedience. So he passed through the land, went all over this land from one place to another uh, as a lord, marking off his property. It was his property. Uh, but he also looked like a wanderer and a stranger, and yet he was surveying all that he had because of the gift of God. And uh, verse 7, 
You see, God appeared to Abram again and said, I'm giving your seed all this land. We'll take it out of the hands of the Canaanites and give it to your children and grandchildren. So Abraham did what he usually did, built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord. Worshiped God with his family and anybody else that wanted to worship God in public worship. That's what called upon the name of the Lord means. To sing his praises, to seek his face. And he knew that worship could only be accepted on the basis of sacrifice, so he built an altar of sacrifice, symbolizing the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, without talking about these things, because I'll be stealing my thunder previous for uh, another Sunday's, my, th- my, th- my thunder, let's just read some of the verses where uh, God expands these promises. So just see how big a promise it was and what a big thing it was to be in covenant with God. Verse 15, chapter 1, chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram, I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. You don't have anything to worry about. And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since thou hast given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir that you just mentioned, Eliezer. But one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And and he, that is God, took Abram outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said, so shall your seed be. He said, now part of this covenant, Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to give you descendants that are more numerous than the stars of the sky. Come outside and look up, look up at the heavens. Can you count those stars? Go to the beach. Can you count all the grains of sand on the beach? Then that's how many children I'm going to give you, and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Your seed is going to be innumerable. It's not going to be some little uh, group of people. It's going to be a people of millions upon millions upon millions of people. All right, let's go to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you throughout their generations in an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your seed after you. So Abraham, we're in covenant now. We're friends. We're bound to each other. God says, so I'm going to bind myself to all of your descendants for uh, thousands of generations. All right, let's go to Genesis 18. 
I'm not going to talk of these today because I just want you to see how big these promises are. Genesis 18, verse 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Then in chapter 22, look there with me. Verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you, the granddaddy, have obeyed my voice. So notice the great promise there. Abraham, your descendants are going to bless all the nations of the world. And your seed someday shall possess the gate of your enemies. That is an idiomatic phrase that means you will fight wars with your enemies and so, uh, so totally destroy them and defeat them that you will receive their capitals as prizes of war. To possess the gates of a city is to conquer that city. And so the prizes of victory for generations will be the powerhouses of foreign nations. They shall possess the gates of their enemy. One more. Because we're really going to preach on Galatians today, not Genesis. Genesis 28, verse 3. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you that you may possess the land of your sojournings which God gave to Abraham. Now here God is reiterating his promise to Jacob the promise he made to Adam, Abraham. He is reiterating it to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. And he says, the descendants of Abraham are going to become a company of peoples. Uh, you know what the word company is in Hebrew? I know you don't. The word company in Hebrews, in Hebrew, is kahal. Q-A-H-A-L. And kahal means congregation. 
and in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. The Greek word for kahal is one of the New Testament words for church. So Abraham, I'm going to make a great church of your descendants, a church of peoples, plural, not just confined to one race, one nationality, one language, but out of every tribe and nation and tongue upon the face of this earth, from your descendants, I'm going to make a mighty international trans-ethnic church of millions upon millions of people. That will be a blessing to the whole world. Now, what do all those promises mean? The, the average Christian today thinks that these promises are addressed to Abraham's literal descendants. That what he's talking about is the actual land of Palestine and the actual blood descendants of Abraham himself who are the Semitic Jewish people. And so if you're a premillennialist or a dispensationalist, you're going to believe the promise is that anybody that blesses the Jewish people, God will bless. Anybody that curses the Jewish people, God will curse. God will give the land of Palestine, take it away from the Canaanites, give the land of Palestine to the Jewish people like the United Nations did in 1948, and which is the basis of the foreign policy of the United States to this day. One of the reasons we have such war and bloodshed in the Middle East is because so many Western nations believe that the Abrahamic covenant is God promising the Jews the land of Palestine. And it's our duty as a nation to defend the right of the Jews to own the land of Palestine. And that's why we have so much war between the Jews and Muslims and Palestinians, etc., in the Middle East. Now, the question is, uh, also, they believe when it says that uh, Abraham's seed will be a multitude of people, that means there's going to be a lot of Jews on earth, a lot of Jews. They're going to be given the land of Palestine. And everybody that's good to the Jews all over the world, God's going to bless all the nations. Let me tell you a sidetrack. You know, when Oliver Cromwell was Lord Protector of England, the Jews had been banned from England for about 800 years. But Oliver Cromwell decided to let them all back come back into, into England. Not for financial reasons, but for theological reasons. Oliver Cromwell said, God promised in the Bible that he's going to save all the Jews and they're going to come to Christ. And there's no better religion for that to happen than England. So he had all the Jews come back to England. But anyway, now, rather than just trying to guess and saying all this has to do with the Jews and not with us, uh, is, is not using the Bible as the standard that it was meant to be used for. 
The Bible is the only infallible interpreter of Scripture. It interprets itself. There's all kinds of interpretations of the Bible out there, but the only infallible one is the Bible. So I want us to go to the book of Galatians and spend most of the rest of our time in the third chapter of Galatians seeing who the Bible identifies as the uh, content of all these promises. I want to look at four of them. Four central promises that God made to Abraham in the covenant he made with him. The first promise is the promise of communion with God, of fellowship with God. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. That is the theme that unifies the entire Bible together. Every book of the Bible, in one way or another, uh, adds to that thought and explains that thought and that promise. Where God says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And we'll be in fellowship together. And you see the consummation of it in Jesus himself. What does Matthew 1 say is the name of Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. Here's the personification of that great promise that God made to Abraham. That I'll be your God and you'll be my people and we'll enjoy fellowship with each other. It's Jesus. Jesus was not only Abraham's seed, but Jesus was Abraham's God. And here he is, Emmanuel. He's the fulfillment. And unless we see these great promises fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ as the God-man, we're going to misunderstand everything. The second promise I want us to look at, we're going to look at three more. The promise of a land, the promise of a seed, and the promise of worldwide blessings. And we're going to see exactly what the Bible says is the meaning of all those. The first one, I'm going to give you a land, Abraham. And then throughout Genesis, it very specifically gives you the boundaries of that land. And it is the land of Palestine. But there's more to that land promise than just Palestine. When God gave Abraham and his descendants, the land of Palestine, took it away from the Canaanites and gave it to Abraham. That was just a down payment. That was just the initial payment on the promise. The promise that God made Abraham in giving his people a land where they could live, build a culture, a civilization of the glory of God, is far bigger than the land of Palestine. I mean, uh, one thing is sort of facetious. God says he's going to give Abraham descendants more numerous than the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. That's billions. How are you going to cram all those billions of people into the land of Palestine? But here's what the New Testament says. Jesus and Paul. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, as he, the first, his first sermon he preached, as he preaches about what life is going to be like in his kingdom, and how, what his disciples can expect. In the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the land of Palestine. You got that translation? No. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, you know what the word meek means in Greek? Tamed of God. Blessed are those who have been tamed of God. Blessed are my disciples. I want you to know how big this promise is of being in my kingdom and being my disciples. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not just a little real estate in the Middle East, but the entire earth is the heir, of, is the inheritance of the people of God. You remember what Paul said in Romans 4, verse 13. He calls Abraham the heir of the world. Not just the heir of Canaan, but the heir of the world. The entire earth and everything on it shall someday be under the dominion of the seed of Abraham. Now, there's so many practical applications to that, politically, economically, spiritually. The descendants of Abraham are the heirs of the world. Every square inch of this planet belongs to them. Doesn't belong to anybody else. But every square inch of real estate on this earth belonged to the seed of Abraham. So before we see what this land is, we need to identify the seed of Abraham. God told Abraham he was going to have a numerous seed. Let's see how the book of Galatians chapter 3 explains it. Uh, who this seed is. Chapter 3 of Galatians verses 6 through 9. Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. If you're a Jewish person and you're not a believer in Jesus, you are not a son of Abraham. You are not the seed of Abraham. And you are not an heir to Palestine and the rest of the world. Look at verse uh, 8. Here's the title of my sermon. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. That says that when God entered into a covenant with Abraham, when he said God's going to bless all the people of the world through you, give you a land, give you a numerous seed, God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. So don't think the gospel is some little uh, isolated statement to unattached people in the world and individuals. An individual here, an individual there. You believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. You believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. And there, there's no relationship. It's just an isolated, uh, unattached bunch of statements to individuals. 
about heaven. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not. If you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven when you die. That's part of it. But the gospel is far bigger than that. And boy, have we ever truncated it in this culture. The gospel has only to do with what goes on after death. Not on this planet. It has nothing to do with families, nations, but isolated individuals here and there. So that a Christian says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. I don't have any real involvement or love for this life and this creation. All I want is my mansion in golden streets when I die. I've been wondering if that person's a Christian. Because the covenant of grace gives you the world. Gives you heaven. And it gives you this earth. And all the resources of this earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall die and go to heaven. Well, praise the Lord, that's true. But blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This earth is yours, just as much as heaven is yours. And whatever God promises to give you, you should look forward to and want and not to be, want to get rid of. The gospel has to do with life on this planet, as well as in the immediate presence of God. The gospel has reference to families and not just isolated individuals. It has to do with land. It has to do with children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Uh, you see the connection between the Abrahamic covenant and the covenant God made with Adam in the Garden of Eden? What did God tell Adam? He said, I want you to use all the resources... And all the energies of this creation to build a civilization to my glory that you'll have dominion over. Subdue the earth, replenish it, populate it, have dominion over it, and use all these resources that I've made available for you on this planet to build civilization after civilization to the glory of God. So God says to Abraham, in so many words. Remember what I told Adam? All right, now I'm going to give you land so you can do it. I'm going to give you uh, physical, material resources to build whatever you need to build so that your children and your grandchildren down through their generations will have some place to stand as they serve me. Now what that means is that a part of salvation is land, ownership of property. We all know that ownership of property is essential to freedom. Private ownership of property. Can you tell me which one of the Ten Commandments has to do with the private ownership of property? Thou shalt not steal. 
don't you take the property that belongs to me. God's given me that property. So property is essential to just essential to liberty. And it also plays a very important role in our life in this world as Christians. Uh, if you have property, it's hard to be intimidated. When I mean property, I mean really things you can touch, land, earth, dirt, gold, silver. Uh, if you have property, you own things, you have a place to stand, you have a place to build a house, you have a place to build a school, you have a place to build a church, you have a place to build a business, and you're not dependent upon other people. And if you don't own property, and you're just like everybody else, then the state owns all the property. And if the state owns all the property, it can do to you and with you whatever it wants to do. So property is essential to freedom. Having property is a, a very important when it comes to conquering the world for Christ. You know, the early Christians tried to do without property in Jerusalem. The early Christians thought they were doing the right thing. When they sold all their property, got rid of all of it, held all property in common like a bunch of communists. And as a result, in letter after letter in the New Testament, Paul had to go around and ask for offerings for the poverty-stricken Christians in Jerusalem. Time and again. He said, we've got to take care of these poverty-stricken Christians with their hyper-spirituality thinking that property is the common, commonly owned by everybody. So what I'm trying to say is, if you own property, you're a responsible person. If you own property, you are not a reckless, irresponsible person. If you own property, you're a very influential person. And you're not easy to control. So understand that this land promise, it's about dirt. It's about Georgia red clay. Don't spiritualize it. Understand that God in his grace has promised that he's going to give his people dirt. So they can build upon it a civilization to the glory of God. You can't build a civilization without dirt. You have to have land. God says, I'm going to give you land. But understand, it's not the Jews I'm giving this land to. Let's go back to Galatians 3. He's given this land to the seed of Abraham. It says in verse 9 of chapter 3, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. 
the land, the earth is yours only if you believe in Jesus the way Abraham believed in you, Jesus. Look at verse 13, 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that, why did Jesus hang on a tree? Why did Jesus bear the curse of the law for us? In order that, look at verse 14. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is that blessing of the Abrahamic covenant that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed with? The reception of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. So that as we live our lives and we try to influence other people, we try to build a Christian culture and civilization down through our generations, more and more people are going to be influenced by us. More and more people in America are going to be converted. More and more Christians there are, the more influence we'll have. And the more Christians there are, the less influence the non-Christians have. The smaller their number gets. Understand, as the Christian church grows, the non-Christians get smaller in number. Because we're bringing them into the church by grace through faith. They're, the more influence we have, the less influence they have. You know, in the early 1800s, what the most powerful influence was economically in the United States? Tithers. Christians who tithed. They were the great economic power in the United States. They paid for hospitals. They paid for adoption agencies. They paid for their own schools. Their, to this day, there's hospitals called Presbyterian hospitals. In uh, South Carolina, there's Presbyterian College. They used to spend their money and their ties building a Christian culture. But the tithers quit tithing. What happened then? The power moved in America from the Christians to the non-Christians and to the state. And what the Christians used to do through their tithes, now the state does through taxes and welfare programs. So the church suffers. It has less and less property. It has less and less tools to build a culture. In the meanwhile, the state gets more and more property as it gets more and more of your money. And our influence diminishes and the state's influence increases. You don't take seriously this promise of a state, uh, of a land given to the seed of Abraham. You'll continue to be a slave to the state. Let's go on. Look at verse, uh, so, 
So in verse 14, the blessing of Abraham that's going to come to the nations of the world through us is going to be the reception of the Holy Spirit through faith. They're going to be believers. They're going to receive the Holy Spirit, be regenerated, sanctified by Him. Look at verse uh, 18. For if the inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. And then down in verse 28. This is, this is the clincher. Verse 28 and 29 changed my life many, many years ago. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There are differences, but they're not important. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. When it comes to experiencing the privileges of God's grace, none of these distinctions count. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Memorize the next verse. And if you belong to Christ by faith, then you are Abraham's offspring, Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. So now, whom does the Bible identify as the seed of Abraham? Those who belong to Christ by faith, regardless of ethnic origin. Neither Greek nor Jew. And if you belong to Christ by faith, all of the promises of the covenants of the Old Testament belong to you. And if you belong to Christ, then your Abraham's seed heirs according to the promise. So you go back and you read the Abrahamic covenant. And you get rid of your racism. See, most people, when they read about the Abrahamic covenant, become racist all of a sudden. And says this Abrahamic covenant has to do with the Jewish race. The Semitic race. There's no racism in the gospel. The Jews of that day thought that salvation was by race. The Christians knew it was by grace. So don't get it mixed up. We're not racists. The Abrahamic covenant is not addressed to the Jews. It's addressed to the seed of Abraham. And that is anybody and everybody, regardless of ethnic origin, who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, to whom is this land promise given? You. American foreign policy, as I said, has gone for years in saying that Palestine belongs to the Jews. God promised to the Jews. Believe a lie. Palestine belongs to me. It belongs to you. It belongs to the seed of Abraham and not to any one particular race along with every other square inch on the face of this earth. So our responsibility is to work and pray diligently 
to take possession, not violently, but by hard work and prayer, reconstruction and Christian education, but take possession of this that is our inheritance. The earth belongs to Christians. The earth belongs to those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has given us this earth as a promise, so we'll have all the tools and all the resources to build civilization after civilization all over the world to the glory of Almighty God. I saw on Facebook, you might want to see it. No, I think it's YouTube. Uh, YouTube, there's a site called Conversations That Matter. Uh, and the young man that leads it is a man named John Harris. And he, he had a, a, a thing just the other day. It says, is the real issue in, the, in America today that people want a Christian civilization? Are they not aware that that's what they really want and that's the only way there could be any solutions to the things we have to face today? Now, that's amazing when a guy comes up saying with that. Is it, is it really maybe these people in the world, what they really want and don't know it is a Christian civilization? For the meek shall inherit the earth. So the land of this earth belongs to the seed of Abraham. And the seed of Abraham is comprised of everybody who belongs to Christ regardless of ethnic origin. And the whole world is going to be blessed with the blessings of Abraham, which will be justification by faith in Christ alone and the regenerating, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit of God. There's one other verse I want you to look at with me. And that is in um, on up earlier. Go to verse 16 of chapter 3. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. Brilliant. That Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham par excellence. The argument Paul's making, which Jewish, Jewish people would understand, is that it didn't use the word plural for seeds. Singular. Christ is the seed of Abraham. The earth belongs to him. All the nations of the earth will be blessed with the Holy Spirit and justification through him. So how do you get this numerous seed thing? Only as you belong to Christ do you participate in all these promises of the seed. Our catechism says the covenant was made with Christ and in him with all of God's elect people. So we're not the seed of Abraham at all and we don't get in on any of these promises if we don't belong to Christ. It's only in him. It's only as we believe in him 
that we can label ourselves as the seed of Abraham. Christ is the seed. The world belongs to him. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through him. And through his church. You remember what I told you back in Genesis, what, 28? God said to Jacob, I'm going to make you a kahal of peoples. I'm going to make of your family a, a church, an international church of peoples. So to whom does this word seed refer? Write this down. This has to do with evangelism. It has to do with the, making, uh, the makeup of the church. It has to do with the raising of children. One, the seed of Abraham is Jesus. Two, the seed of Abraham is those who belong to Jesus through faith. And since, number three, since the spiritual seed of Abraham is to be found among the physical seed of Abraham, that is, among Abraham's literal children. God said to Abraham, this is the story of your seed. So the spiritual seed is to be found among the physical seed of Abraham so that all the children of believers are to be considered the seed of Abraham unless by their lives they prove differently. Unless by their lives they show their apostate. So Christ is the seed. If you belong to Christ by faith, you are the seed of Abraham. And since the spiritual seed of Abraham is to be found among the physical seed of God's people, we are to consider our physical seed to be the children of Abraham unless by their lives they prove differently. You remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob had more than one child and they circumcised all the boys. Even the ones that were reprobate. Ishmael. Esau. They gave all of them the sign of the covenant. They treated all of them as if they were the seed of Abraham. Even though it was only Isaac and Jacob. So when you have your child there and it's mis he's misbehaving. You don't say, if you don't straighten out, you're not going to become a Christian. <laughs> if you don't straighten out, you're not going to become a seed of Abraham. No. You say, this is not the way the seed of Abraham lives. So you see, believing in the Abrahamic covenant determines how you're going to raise children. Most people out there, a lot of people say, well, I believe we're not supposed to view our children as Christians until they show by their lives signs of faith. Where'd you get that in the Bible? We're to view our children, they say, as lost unless by their lives they show something different. Give me a chapter verse. Show me somewhere in the Bible where you had a Christian parent treat his babies 
as lost until they came to some age of accountability. I can give you all kinds of illustrations backing up my argument. You can't give me one. Let me talk about some babies, some covenant babies, some physical children of Abraham. Their parents assumed they were spiritual seed of Abraham unless by their lives they proved differently. There were three babies in David's life. There was a little baby that Bathsheba had. Uh, because, you know, she, he, she and, and David committed adultery. So she conceived. That baby lived to be seven days old. Hadn't even been circumcised. And David was torn up about the fact that he was sick and dying. And all of David's servants were scared to death. If this baby dies, what in the world is David going to do? So sure enough, the baby died in his seventh day of life. And uh, the servants were afraid to go up and tell David that the baby had died. But they told him, and he showered and shaved and got dressed and came downstairs, grieving but calm. He was not weeping as those who have no hope. And he said this about his baby, little baby boy. You cannot come back to me, but I will come to you. David was convinced that his little seven-day-old baby had died and gone to heaven. You can't come to me. I'll come to you. You know you have to be born again to go to heaven. And you can't be born again after you die. So David believed that sometime during those seven days or nine months prior to those seven days, that little baby was born of God. And he expected to see that baby again. Now, why could David do that? Did David have some insight into God's files of the elect and non-elect? No. David was a covenant theologian. David had the same books of Genesis we have and other books. And he believed God's promises. On the basis of God's promises, covenant promises, that say, God says, I'll be a God to you and to your children after you down through their generations. On the basis of that promise, David was convinced that his little baby died and went to heaven. Now, that's not true of all babies. We're talking about Christians. Because when the flood came, it wasn't just adults that drowned in that flood. Well, then there's another baby in David's life. And that was another baby that was born a few months later. And you know him as Solomon. But he had another name, which I can't think of right now. Uh, he had another name, Jedidiah. You know what Jedidiah means in Hebrew? Beloved of God. 
How did David know God loved that little baby when God doesn't love everybody? The covenant promises of God. I'll be a God to you and your children after you, down through their generations. Then there's another baby in David's life. And I want you to turn to Psalm 22, I think, or 24. And I promise this is going to be, well, one of the last things I'm going to say. Another baby in David's life, himself, when he was a baby. So look at Psalm 22, verse 9. Yet thou art he who didst bring me forth from the womb. Thou didst make me trust when upon my mother's breasts, upon thee I was cast from birth. Trust is the Hebrew word for believe. David believed that he was a believer while he was nursing his mother as a newborn baby. He trusted in God. He believed the covenant promise. John Calvin said one time, somebody asked John Calvin, how in the world could a newborn baby believe? And Calvin said, I have no idea. <laughs> but there it is. But it's the next sentence. Verse 10. Upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. In the book of Psalms, to call somebody to call God my God is to uh, assume personal fellowship with Him. I enjoyed personal fellowship with God before I was born. Why do you believe that? Because the covenant promised Abraham, I'll be a God to you and your children after you down through their generations. Same thing as in the New Testament. You have these little children coming to Jesus. And there's two kinds of Greek words. Some of these uh, children, it says, were newborns. They had to be carried to him. Some of these children were toddlers so they could walk. And you remember the disciples got on him. And he said, uh, why are you letting these little children take up your time? And Jesus said this, besides the famous statement, you know, suffer the little children to come unto me, for if such is the kingdom of heaven. Besides that, he said, uh, if anybody causes these little ones, these newborns, if anybody causes these little newborns who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better for him not to be born because of the judgment he's going to bear. These newborns who believe in me. And you remember John the Baptist? When his pregnant mother 
Elizabeth, saw her pregnant cousin, Mary, and Mary told Elizabeth she was carrying the Savior of the world. It says, John the Baptist leaped for joy, being filled with the Holy Ghost. You've got to be born again to leap for joy at the sound of Christ. You've got to be born again to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So our, our view of children is very different than that of the world. And our view of children is very different than that of Baptists and of many Presbyterians. We assume that they are the seed of Abraham unless by their lives they prove differently. So the seed of Abraham is Christ. It's all those who belong to Christ by faith. And since the spiritual seed is found among the physical seed, we are to assume that all the physical seed are spiritual seed unless by their lives they prove differently. So you see the gospel of the Abrahamic covenant is a far bigger thing than what most people think the, the gospel is. And so in Galatians 3, you understand now why it says that when Abraham was told by God that his seed would bring blessings to all the nations of the world. God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. Make sure your gospel is not too small. Let us pray. We thank you, our God, for this glorious gospel. Far bigger than we had thought. Help us to be faithful to this glorious covenant that you have entered into with us in Christ. Help us to believe it all. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let us confess our faith in the triune God by standing and reciting together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. As you take the Lord's Supper today, keep these things in your mind. It's so easy to forget them. 
Uh, Martin Luther said, I preach on justification by faith every Sunday because y'all forget it every week. And I need to preach it again. And that's the way it is with all of us. It's so easy to forget these things. Talk about these things with other people. Pray about them. Read books on the subject. Learn everything you can about covenant theology. That's the heart and soul of the Bible. Thank God for it. Don't, don't think about it in some kind of academic way. But thank God that when God called you out of death and darkness into light, he made a covenant with you and your children down through your generations in which he would be your God and you'd be his people. Now thank him for it. Let us pray. We are so 